Welcome to Faith and Science. I'm Dr. John Ashton. Today, I'm going to talk a little bit about naturalism, and perhaps many people haven't uh, heard of the term or aren't real clear on the term. So, methodological naturalism essentially is the exclusion of the supernatural from the natural sciences. So, you've got your physics, chemistry, geology, and so forth, all your uh, sciences, um, which and biology, of course, and uh, includes um, you know teaching the theory of evolution, and so the teaching of these sciences, according to naturalism, there is in particular um, the exclusion of the supernatural. In other words, God doesn't exist, uh, or doesn't intervene in any way in nature, and therefore shouldn't be considered. And this is the approach that has essentially been adopted within Western education systems. Um, in fact, uh, I was uh, reading you know, very recently about Lawrence Lena's uh, article that uh, he published. He was a professor, um, a science professor, uh, and published an article uh, or a paper back um, around uh, in the year 2000. Anyway, I think it was... Uh, in September 2000 um, on um, good science and bad science teaching in American schools. And essentially, he rated the schools purely on the extent to which they taught the theory of evolution. And so uh, <laughs> he essentially totally va- you know, uh, valued the teach- science teaching in the school, not on how they taught physics and chemistry, um, as well, but just on how and general biology, but rather on how they taught evolution, which was uh, quite interesting, of course. And we've seen, you know, uh, similar studies were done you know, more recently here in Australia and published by um, you know one of the professors at uh, the University of um, New South Wales, Professor Archer, um, looking at um, how the uh, there has been a decline in students believing in creation coming to university and he hails this as a, a great breakthrough in terms of, of science education. And of course, um, he's uh, you know, promoting this essentially uh, particularly atheists, uh, but not uh, necessarily. Um, some people can think, well, there is a God, but he, he doesn't intervene or he hasn't you know, I- intervened. Um, and so you can have a deist uh, approach to, uh, to things. But unfortunately, naturalism is a belief. It's a faith. It's, it uh, is underpinned, as I said, that um, it excludes the, the supernatural. And so it's... Um, Interesting that um, uh, one an atheist uh, by the name of Bradley Monton, uh, one of his articles um, he wrote in 2013, points out that if science is really committed to methodological naturalism, then it automatically follows that the aim of science is not generating true theories. Instead, the aim of science would be something like generating the best theories that can be formulated subject to the restriction that those theories are naturalistic. And so it's, it's quite, um, you know, fascinating there. 
um, when you look at that, that this is a faith system, a faith system that has been set up. And, of course, there's just growing evidence, huge amount of evidence that um, methodological naturalism or just naturalism um, is is not correct. It's not the... Um, uh, it's not a valid um, worldview, really, because there's so much evidence against it. So there's been a lot of attempts to um, defending um, and attempting to offend, defend methodological naturalism. Matter of fact, there was a, a paper uh, published um, in uh, 2017 um, in the International Journal for Philosophy of Religion, Volume 81, pages 335 to 355. And it was um, uh, by Ariki Kajonen, K-O-J-O-N-E-N, and the title was Methodological Naturalism and the Truth-Seeking Objection. So there's a major philosophical objection to naturalism called the Truth-Seeking Objection. And, um, and one of the uh, proponents of that, of course, is the uh, Christian uh, philosopher Alvin Plantinga, uh, P-L-A-N-T-I-N-G-A. And um, uh, he's a, a quite a strong uh, proponent um, of um, the truth-seeking uh, objection. And um, it's quite interesting that... Um, it's, um, you know, there's um, uh, a lot of other atheist uh, philosophers uh, support that ob- objection too. My understanding is that Thomas Nagel uh, supports um, uh, Alvin uh, Patinga's uh, uh, position. Of course, Thomas Nagel is professor of philosophy at, um, I think it's New York University, again, a world-leading um, uh, philosopher. Um, uh, as well, and uh, Alvin Pantanga is. Matter of fact, um, the uh, a book has, uh, was published a couple of years ago um, called Two Dozen or So Arguments for God" by J. Walls um, and uh, T. Doherty. They were editors, published by Oxford University, as I said in two thousand and eighteen. And essentially, this was um, uh, the subheading is the Patinga Project. And essentially, um, 30 years ago or so, Alvin Patinga gave a lecture called Two Dozen or So Theistic Arguments. And um, these were arguments for God. Now, Alvin Patinga is uh, a a Christian philosopher. And um, he proposed in his presentation a number of novel and creative arguments for the existence of God. and uh, so the two dozen or so arguments for God in that book, each of the Patinga's original suggestions um, are developed in more detail by a variety of uh, accomplished scholars. Um, so the authors look at uh, metaphysics, epistemology, semantics, ethics, uh, ascetics and beyond, uh, finding evidence for God in almost every dimension of reality. Um, and so this is what's happening as philosophers now are looking, as I said, they're finding evidence for God in almost every dimension of reality and so on. So it's interesting that 
you know, gra- recent, you know, great scientists like John Pokinghorn, who was a professor of um, theoretical physics at Cambridge, um, resigned and um, went and studied theology um, and uh, became a, an Anglican um, a theologian. Um, and so, and of course, Newton himself, um, Isaac Newton, spent more time um, writing really in the areas of uh, the, the the Bible and theology. I have um, copies of his um, studies on uh, Revelation, his commentaries on Revelation and the book of Daniel, for example. And so... Um, so here we find, just recently in these last couple of years, a whole uh, many, many strong um, efforts um, are coming out, many, many strong arguments are coming out defending creation, defending uh, the existence of God and, um, and really challenging naturalism. And yet naturalism remains uh, essentially... Um, underpinning science education in Western countries. If you want to, you know, even talk about probably uh, religion and and God in um, in education this day and age, certainly in some universities, you would be, um, you know, quite severely censored. And it's interesting that um, uh, Bradley Monton in an earlier work published in 2009 called Seeking God in Science, An Atheist Defends Intelligent Design, uh, that was uh, published by Broadview Press um, in Toronto. And um, he writes, the doctrine of intelligent design is often subject of acrimonious debate. Now, remember, this guy is an atheist, again, another atheist professor of philosophy. Um, I think he's at the actually at the moment at the University of Wuhan. Uh, he was in American universities earlier on. And he writes, Seeking God in science cuts through the rhetoric that distorts the debates between religious and secular camps. Um, oh, sorry, this is a review of his work. Bradley Monton, a philosopher of science and an atheist, carefully considers the arguments for intelligent design and argues that intelligent design deserves serious consideration as a scientific theory. And it's interesting that Thomas Nagel um, said the same thing in his book uh, Mind and the Cosmos um, that was published um, you know, about 2016, I think, somewhere around that. And um, again, so this atheist is arguing that uh, students in science education can benefit from a careful consideration of the arguments for and against uh, intelligent design. And I can remember when I published um, an article um, in, the, in, in, the, in Chemistry Australia, the official journal of the Royal Australian Chemical Institute. Um, it was a peer-reviewed article. It was published originally as a special feature article and it was entitled A Creationist View of the Intelligent Design Debate. Well, it's interesting, when that came out, um, uh, there were three and possibly more uh, professors at different universities wrote earnestly to the Royal Australian Chemical Institute urging that it was a major mistake that my article was published, that it would discredit 
the Institute and, and so forth essentially accused me of making up made-up arguments, although I cited my sources there for everybody to see. They made all sorts of assertions without... Um, making, um, you know, any, uh, citing any sources to defend their position. Um, when I rang them uh, later, um, they, uh, I, I got through to one of them and uh, because I was interested, if I'm wrong, I'm interested in them uh, showing me where I'm wrong. And when I spoke to him, uh, I said, well, you know, you've asserted that uh, I'm, in, I'm incorrect and I've said incorrect statements, you know, where's the evidence that I'm incorrect? And it, I was amazed that his reply was, well, we don't have the evidence yet, but we will. And it's interesting that there's so much evidence now that evolution is absolutely impossible and could not occur naturalistically, that the only solution that naturalists have really is that, well, we haven't yet discovered the mechanism that uh, how it happens. But when we look at the science that we currently know, it's absolutely impossible for random mutations to create the amazing complexity that we find in, in nature. You know, a couple of talks ago, I talked about the um, electric uh, motors in E. coli bacteria that are driven by um, you know, protons, they're not driven by electrons, they're driven by the positive hydrogen ion charges, protons. And the amazing construction of this pro uh, the motor, which has the, the central um, uh, gearing system and other gearing drives around the uh, perimeter, um, and amazing methods of uh, generating forward and, and uh, rear... Um, rotation of the um, uh, of the shaft that drives the little flagella or you know, which is sort of like the propellers that propel the uh, bacteria through uh, solutions and then of course there was the amazing navigation system um, that um, uh, it, the because the motors essentially would be largely useless unless there was a way to steer the cell. And the cell actually navigates its environment using a system that tracks chemical gradients with precision. So, and the, this navigation system enables to turn the cell by, you know, switching the rotation direction of the motor of any of its five to ten flagella. So, you know, it's sort of like you see these big ships that uh, can move sideways into the wharf or turn on a very short time by, you know, controlling the rotation of different propellers. Um, and the way they're rotating. And um, it's interesting that, again, this is uh, it, it's the cell is able to navigate towards food by sensing chemical gradients or the gradients of nutrients um, in the media that it's in. And um, this system has really sophisticated signaling um, that um, is um, in a, a um, hexagonal architecture um, organised system uh, that actually uh, computes and analyses thousands of binary input signals from a vast array of sensors that are in front of this detector device that can detect different chemicals. And um, it's interesting, they've, they've studied the 
um, the uh, circuitry of the device, and it includes short-term memory feedback loops. Um, they're allowing the system to compare chemical concentrations over time. And um, uh, the authors of the uh, articles, which have um, been uh, written up in um, pnas.org um, and also sciencedirect.com, um, just in 2019, um, although earlier work was done back in 2007 and 2008, um, the, um, the different sensor types communicate with another and amplify signals. They've got up to 50-fold amplification. And um, the result is a uh, navigation system with high uh, sensitivity. Um, and, um, yeah, it's, it's actually quite uh, amazing. Um, the, and uh, one of the comments that uh, was uh, published in uh, cell.com on the 1st of June, 2008, that issue in cell.com, 1st of June, 2008. Uh, the comment was, uh, E. coli's navigation system is one of the simplest in bacteria and yet a much more, most are much more complex. So the when we look at this system that is highly engineered um, and reeks of super intelligent design, yet it's one of the simplest systems amongst uh, bacteria there. You know, when we... When we look at that, the overwhelming evidence for intelligent design um, in nature, in the DNA codes and, and so forth, um, is um, uh, enormous. And this is being recognised by, um, you know, by scientists and philosophers. Um, and, um, and this is one of the interesting things, that if you have a total naturalistic theory, it can't explain evolution because random mutations and the you know philosophers and the scientists, growing number of scientists recognise this, you can't produce these complex systems that we observe in nature and we get down to the simplest organism like the E. coli bacteria that doesn't even have a nucleus, a uh, single cell organism, and yet we've got these highly complex systems and machines. And these machines have, you know, bearings and rotors and all sorts of parts, uh, and, and they have repair mechanisms as well. It's, um, it, you know, it is amazing, but it's sort of out of sight, and yet the complexity is so great, it even takes years for scientists to, you know, work on the, um, the understanding and identify these systems using the best technology that we have um, available at the moment um, and um, it's it's interesting that um, there was a, a notice published um, I guess Imperial College in London the website's imperial.ac.uk I'm pretty sure that's a website for Imperial College um, in London one of the top unis in the UK uh, it's by H. Uh, Dunning and a team investigating the evolution of bacteria trails, uh, tails rather, um, wins prestigious grant. And this is one of the real challenges that they have trying to still explain in evolutionary terms how these amazingly complex systems can arise without an intelligent designer.
And, um, of course, there are a number of arguments are now being, you know, presented that, you know, God has to be part of science. God is part of this system. Purely nat- pure naturalism can't explain the origin of life, can't explain the origin of the universe. Um, it's absolutely impossible. And yet this is still being taught to our students. Um, it was interesting that um, um, one of the articles that was um, uh, presented for, um, for the existence of God um, was uh, looking at um, a new thermodynamic argument uh, because um, one of the points that uh, was made was that naturalistic physics provides evidence for the failure of induction because it provides evidence that the past is not all what you think it is and your existence is just a momentary fluctuation. But the fact that we're not a momentary fluctuation thus provides evidence for the existence of God and that God would ensure that the past is roughly what we think it is and that we have been in existence for roughly the amount of time that we think we have. So... Um, and at the present time, this particular argument, uh, according to this uh, particular research paper, that um, atheists don't have a definitive way to refute this argument. And um, so um, this uh, uh, Kajonan is uh, attempting the, um, uh, to defend... Um, a, um, and try and find a, um, an argument to um, refute the, um, this uh, thermodynamic argument or the, the fact that, you know, we exist over a period of time, again, is, is a major problem um, for science if we just have naturalism. It's interesting that um, and Alvin Plantinga, he, he's probably worth looking up. Um, he, um, he said in an interview on the relationship between science and religion that religion and science share more common ground than you might think. Though science can't prove, it presupposes that there has been a past, for example, Science does not cover the whole of knowledge enterprise. So it's very difficult for science, for example, to re-examine things that happened in the past. And that's, um, we know that there was a past, but it's very difficult for science to examine those things because it wasn't there. It can't make observations in the past. It can interpret, for example, rocks that it believes old in a particular way, according to a particular worldview, but it can never know. And this is one of the major problems that um, um, we have. Um, he goes on to say, uh, this is uh, Plantinga, and by the way, his name is spelled P-L-A-N-T-I-N-G-A, and he writes, like any Christian, and indeed any theist, I believe that the world has been created by God and hence intelligently designed. And I think if, in fact, science students were taught this, we would have a, a much more rapid advancement of science because we would be expecting things to be intelligently designed. 
Um, you know, there are a number of, um, um, you know, arguments that can be raised and, you know, Pantinga raises a, a number of them that, you know, if we um, are just the product of random mutations, we can't even guarantee that our thoughts would be rational. Um, and can be relied upon. You know, there's all these philosophical arguments. Once we move away from uh, intelligent design, we get into, and the existence of God, we get into a major problem. Um, Patinga goes on and writes in another place the attitude that he proposes a, and elaborates upon is uh, uh, writes in his book Where the Conflict Really Lies Science, Religion, and Naturalism. And he points out that there is no tension between religion and science, that the two go hand in hand, and that the actual conflict is between naturalism and science. Because really, naturalism can't uh, explain science. It can't really genuinely underpin science. Um, we really have to believe that there was a God in order to interpret science correctly and so that it really works and in accordance with the evidence, um, we really have to believe in the existence of God. So we see that science overwhelmingly proves the existence of God. Philosophers also have overwhelming arguments for the existence of God. So the issue then becomes what is about God, about knowing God. And this is where the Bible comes in. And I think this is where the challenge comes in. That the big issue is, uh, is the Bible reliable? Well, we know that we have historic, the Bible records a whole lot of history. And every bit of history that can be checked has been found to be um, correct. The histor secular historical records at the time match and corroborate the names, places and so forth and, and dates of the biblical account. We have eyewitnesses of the supernatural miracles performed by Jesus and the resurrection in the writings of John, Paul, Peter and others. And so we have actual witnesses. And, you know, it's not as if these witnesses went off and made a lot of money out of this. They all died be, um, for their for their testimony because it was true and they realised it was so important. People need to know this. Jesus really was God. And, of course, then we have the prophecies, like the amazing prophecy in Daniel chapter 2 of Nebuchadnezzar's dream that essentially prophesies the history of the world. And, and there's, you know, there's hundreds of other prophecies that have been fulfilled precisely as they were told, and we know they were written well beforehand, and the only there's a few remaining, of course, that are yet to be fulfilled when Jesus returns. So we have powerful arguments for the biblical account of creation being a real argument, a real explanation for how we, we got here. And it's very important that um, people... Uh, and particularly students, understand this, that uh, naturalism and science hasn't thrown out the Bible. It hasn't thrown out intelligent design. There's overwhelming evidence for the existence of an intelligent designer and the description fits the creation, the creator described in the Bible. And we have the testimony of prophecy, history and eyewitnesses to confirm that Jesus was truly the Son of God and the biblical account is correct. 
You've been listening to Faith and Science. And remember, if you want to re-listen to this program uh, or send a link to someone else to share it, just Google 3ABN Australia, or one word, .org.au and click on the Listen button. I'm Dr John Ashton. Have a great day. You've been listening to a production of 3ABN Australia Radio.